Welcome to the podcast, From Crisis to Connection. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'll be bringing the professional perspective. I'm Jody Stewart, unlicensed wife, mother, daughter, sister, friend, and neighbor, and I'll be bringing the regular everyday perspective. We are all about relationship recovery, and we'll tackle tough topics like infidelity, abuse, addiction, pornography, and betrayal trauma. We also focus on helping you build stronger connections in your most important relationships. So thanks for joining us. We're glad you're here. Welcome back to the podcast. It's so great being with you every single week on this podcast. And thank you for the great feedback and comments that you give us. We love hearing from you and we love knowing that the work that we're doing here is making a difference in your life. This is not easy stuff. And uh, certainly being married or being in a relationship and even parenting and all these things, there, there's just so many ups and downs and challenges and surprises. And we want you to know that you're not alone. We're doing a lot of this same work that you're doing. And it's a real honor and privilege to share my professional experience with you in this format and also have Jody along to talk about her lived experiences and the observations she's made and be able to share the things that we've learned and also the things that I've been able to be able to help people with over all these years. So thanks for being along for this ride here and drop us a line. Let us know how it's helping you. We'd love to hear from you. So I'm alone in the studio today. I'm going to do these next couple of episodes by myself to really talk about a lot of the things that I've learned in helping couples and individuals overcome problematic sexual behaviors, betrayal trauma. And I really want to distill it down into some of the top things that I've seen people do who are really healing, who are really making a difference in their healing journey. There are a lot of things to pay attention to when you're trying to recover, when you're trying to overcome unwanted sexual behaviors, or you're trying to heal from the impact of someone else's behaviors. And so you could certainly fill books and volumes and videos and podcasts full of information. And there's so much great information out there that we've created and that others have as well. But today I'm going to distill it down to four of the things that I've seen that really make a difference. And if these four things are not in your recovery process, it's going to make things a lot harder. So I want to help you identify some things that could possibly speed up the process or create more depth or allow you to feel like you're actually making some movement and getting some traction in your progress. Before I jump into today's topic, before we get into this, I'd like to uh, let you know about a free course you can download called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. You can click on the link in my show notes and you'll find access to that course right away. It's a video course that has instruction on how to overcome the impact of betrayal and also how to offer healing if you're the person that's broken the trust. And it has information for couples as well. This video series has been so helpful to so many people. We've had over 1,000, 1,500 people download it, and the feedback on it has been remarkable. And I want you to have access to it. So make sure to click on the link in, that, in the show notes there, download it right away. We'll send it to you. It's called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. And I'm confident it will help give you some structure and some guidance as you're trying to figure out how to heal from the impact of betrayal. In today's episode, we are going to talk about four things that the recovering partner, the person who's broken the trust, the person who's dealing with unwanted sexual behaviors, unwanted addictions, or other problematic behaviors, and really talk about what are some of the core things that they can be doing and should be doing in order to have a healthy and strong recovery. Once again, there are so many things to pay attention to, and I really want to distill down some of the main things that I see are making a difference in people that are healing. So if there are other things that I'm missing, 
uh, please know that I'm not oblivious to those and just really want to help focus your attention on these things. Sometimes lists can be challenging because a lot of the times we can miss things or feel like it's not complete or feel like it's, it's maybe uh, just missing some significant points. And I recognize there's a lot of great things that could be really part of anybody's recovery. But regardless of the behavior that you're stuck in, regardless of the choices or actions or things that you struggle with that you're dealing with, I know that these healing principles will help you. And they are supportive and helpful across almost any issue that I've seen in my office, especially when it comes to overcoming unwanted behaviors that I want to share these with you. So let's jump right into them. The first one is patience. Patience is so critical in this process because it never goes as fast as anybody would like it to. And that includes me as a helper, as a therapist, as a coach, someone that has worked extensively with these issues and has spent the past 25 years helping people. Trust me, I'm always looking for ways to try and accelerate the process and help people get out of the struggles that they're in. People are coming in because they're hurting, they're in distress, and they don't want to spend forever getting help and therapy and going to groups or reading books. And so, of course, naturally, we want things to improve so that people feel some relief in their homes and can get back to being the kind of person that they always wanted to be. One thing I've learned over the years is that slow is fast. Slowing down, taking your time, being thorough, and making sure that you're not rushing the process will actually make the recovery a lot stronger. One of the things that, I, that you'll see with, you know, with, with addiction, for example, is that the whole process of addiction is really about impatience. It's about getting high reward for low risk behavior or low effort behavior. In other words, I don't have to do very much or take much of a risk or put myself out there in order to have this really intense hit of dopamine or oxytocin or be able to feel relaxed and even have that counterfeit sense of connection, whether it's through sex or pornography or something sexual, of course, drugs or alcohol, spending money. All those things have a pretty high reward payoff right away. And there's not a lot of waiting or even having to work super hard to make it happen. And recovery, of course, is asking the exact opposite. The recovery process is asking you to slow down, to delay satisfaction, to delay the reward. In fact, it's asking you to experience a certain amount of pain and discomfort in order to feel relief and, and to be on the other side of it. And so everything in your body, everything in your brain is going to want to push for some sort of outcome, some sort of guarantee, some sort of relief from the struggle. And that's exactly what we want to help you heal from, because that's not really the way that you're going to live a healthy, productive, connected life is by having high reward, high payoff for low effort. All the things, of course, that matter in life require some level of effort and sacrifice. And recovery, when it's going well, is going to follow that same principle. So healing is a process. It takes time and effort and patience. And in fact, a lot of the growth comes from that struggle, like anything, like lifting weights or mastering an instrument or building something important. It's un unrealistic to expect that even trust can be rebuilt overnight or quickly. I mean, think about the people in your life that you trust. You've probably, like me, been burned from trusting too soon or uh, not, you know, not making sure that you were slowing down and thorough about something. So if you really want to build this thing to last and you really want to become a trustworthy person, then patience is going to be a huge part of your long-term recovery plan. Understanding that this is a gradual process, understanding that there are layers to uncover. I'm certainly not interested in dragging this out any longer than it needs to be. 
I'm not interested in torturing people or trying to uh, somehow punish them for for mistakes and and making them sort of pay through you know being indirect or passive aggressive or taking too long. Instead, I want people to be able to go further, to be able to go deeper, to be able to really understand themselves, how they think, how they feel. And a lot of that requires time and space. It also requires consistency. It also requires patterns. And the only way you're going to do that is through time and over time. You don't rebuild trust with somebody quickly, and that's on purpose. Trust is something that's very sacred and very important. It holds relationships together. It holds families together. It holds communities together. And those binds are very sturdy and reliable because of that trust, because there's there's a, a sense of confidence that you can lean against it, you can put weight on it, you can trust that it's going to hold. And if you're just getting to those results too quickly, then you're less likely to trust it. <laughs> I don't know if this is a great example or not, but it's, it's one that makes sense to me. I'm more likely to trust a ride at an established amusement park like Six Flags or Disneyland than I am the carnival that just rolls in that day and nothing's really bolted to the ground and and they're just going to set this up and and you know you don't know if those people have worked for the carnival very long or if there's a lot of a tr- if there's much of a track record there's sort of a stereotype right that happens with with carnivals like this and for good reason the trust is is a little bit low you never know it's is it the same one that came last year is it the same company is it the same people versus going to some place that has a much longer track record more established it's bolted to the ground and that's what i want your recovery to look and feel like something that you can lean against, you can trust, you've seen it operate over and over and over again in a consistent way, and you know it's going to hold. And if you really want to be a safe person, you need to allow time and space for your partner to experience you that way. The next thing I want to share, number two, is the willingness to seek help. People that are doing really solid recovery work, they are open to seeking help. It's like the African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And seeking help will help you go far. And that, that help can be in the form of opening up to a therapist, to jumping into a group, certainly opening up and talking to your spouse or your partner who you've hurt, including them in the process, or reaching out for spiritual support, family and friends that are, that are mature and safe. The hurt and the trauma, even for yourself, if, if you're healing from a compulsive or unwanted behaviors, you've got a lot of hurt and trauma yourself, things that need to be addressed. And they can come from all kinds of different places, from, from your childhood perhaps, or from you know, friends or being bullied, or from your own personal mental health struggles, or even in your relationship, there may have been challenges that were never really resolved or addressed or dealt with. And your way of responding to those challenges may have been really unhealthy and caused a lot of damage. There can be lots of pain and lots of struggles. And so to try and untangle all of that by yourself uh, could be really challenging. In fact, a lot of what keeps people stuck is the fact that they've been trying to handle this on their own through unwanted sexual behaviors or numbing out or checking out. And so this is a time to slow down and open up and do it a different way. Every time that I've ever had to ask for help for anything, it's vulnerable, it's difficult. But every time I do it, it becomes a little bit easier. And so I want you to recognize if you've not taken that step yet, if you've not opened up or asked for help or tried to include someone else in your process, I invite you to try it. And recognize that every single time you do it, it will get a little bit easier. And recognize that there are so many people out there that have gone before you and others like professionals and researchers and authors who can provide valuable tools and resources and strategies 
to help you communicate better and help you regulate your emotions in a healthier way and really help you be able to develop in ways that you never could do on your own. We all have blind spots. We all struggle to see ourselves accurately. We all have distorted views of ourselves and even others. And having someone on the outside be able to ask questions and, and support you and reflect things back makes such a huge difference. So the second one is people that are doing really good solid recovery work, they are seeking help. They are opening up and they're including other people in their process. Are there people that are lone wolves and heal and do just fine? Maybe. I've never met them because they're lone wolves, right? So <laughs> the people that I see that are doing great work are including people in their process. And these aren't just professional clients that I've worked with, but also uh, friends and family members as well. The third thing I want to share is the people that are doing really good recovery work, that are really accelerating their progress, they are working constantly to increase their distress tolerance, especially around tough emotions. Now, what do I mean by that? Again, going back to my earlier example of high reward with addiction and low effort, it doesn't require anyone who struggles with addiction or compulsive behaviors to have to sit with discomfort very long. And we see this all the time in a sometimes a smaller way, certainly can be significant, but even just when you're waiting in line, if you look around you at any grocery store or the bank, when you notice people are standing in line, they're oftentimes looking down at their phones. They've escaped that moment. I don't buy that it's because they're so busy and they have so many things to do. There might be some folks like that. I've certainly been in that position, but I've also been in the position where I was not wanting to have to make eye contact or I was uncomfortable or I was bored, or maybe I was just trying to decompress. Again, all things in moderation when it comes to trying to regulate our moods. There's nothing wrong with having a moment like that. But if you notice on a, generally, we are as humans just wired to escape discomfort. We just are, we don't like it. And we'll find ways to change our moods so quickly. And that can be so much easier now in a world full of screens and ways to mood alter. And so learning how to increase your distress tolerance is a huge part of healthy recovery, which is really your ability to sit with discomfort, your ability to sit with yourself, to sit with your thoughts, to sit with uncertainty. And when I say sit with it, I'm talking about not making it go away. You remember as a kid, perhaps when you're on a car trip, and at least when I was a kid in the 80s, 70s and 80s, there weren't iPads or screens in the car. We just looked out the window and we had to just sit with it. And if your brother or sister was, you know, one of my siblings was bugging me next to it, you know, just had to turn away and look out the window. And that was what I had. That was my screen. And I don't mean to say like, but back in the day, we all did so great with distress tolerance. I mean, there's historically been plenty of ways to check out from having to feel emotion and deal with stuff. So I'm not pretending that we figured it out in the 80s. What I'm saying is that that's an example of what that looks like is just having to, in some ways as a kid, being forced to sit with something that's just really boring. And you get through it and whatever, you move on. Part of healthy recovery is actually practicing what I just described that maybe you were forced to do as a kid or maybe you're forced to do in some other situation. But when you're practicing healthy recovery, you're actually practicing sitting with distress. You're practicing sitting with discomfort. You're learning how to sit with things that maybe historically you would want to push away or to disappear. So what would an example of that be? Well. For example, if you're sitting with your partner and they're talking about their day, they're talking about their feelings, they'd even be talking about something that hurt their feelings. It's an opportunity for you to sit with that and not interrupt, not defend yourself, not walk away, 
not get angry and shut it down, but just to listen and just stay curious and open. And notice that in your body, your heart might start racing a little faster. Your breathing might change. You might feel yourself wanting to get out of that moment. That's an opportunity to practice distress tolerance. Another example might be if you're just standing in a line, if you're just by yourself driving in the car and being able just to hear the wind across the windshield or just notice yourself standing there having nothing to do and just sitting with the discomfort, the uncertainty of not knowing what's going to happen next. That's practicing distress tolerance. That's really good for us. And the people that I see healing, they put themselves in those situations on purpose. They turn their phones off. They they don't have screens in certain places. They sit with and practice listening to their loved ones. They invite discussions that might bring up a little bit more discomfort than maybe they would normally want. Sometimes attending groups are a good way to practice distress tolerance, listening to somebody else tell their story. Or maybe you're at church and you're getting bored with the speaker or the lesson. And those are all opportunities to practice sitting with discomfort instead of just doing something that feels comfortable for you. Your capacity to tolerate distress will be protective against unwanted acting out behaviors. It will also be a foundation for rebuilding trust and becoming a trustworthy person. Your ability to sit with discomfort and hard emotions and physical discomfort, those kinds of things, will make you a more grounded and safer person. Meditation, mindfulness, Those kinds of practices also can help because those are intentional ways of teaching yourself how to sit with and feel stuff that maybe you would normally escape. So if you're going to seek out these experiences, then you will actually be giving yourself a huge advantage in your long-term recovery process. Number four, let's wrap up with this one. Number four is taking full responsibility. The people that I see healing and doing great work, they are so accountable They are taking complete responsibility for their part. They recognize that especially early on, if they've broken trust, if they've damaged their partner's trust, they've damaged the relationship, they are not going to make it a mutual kind of thing. This is called mutualizing. What that basically means is that they're not going to say, well, this was just 50-50. Yeah, I did these things. You know, I cheated on you or I had secrets or I acted out or I lied to you, these kinds of things. But you've also done some things too that were hurtful to me. They don't do that. They focus on owning their own stuff and they trust that their partner is going to have a chance to own whatever they need to own down the road. They're recognizing that they are going to clean up their damage and they're going to take personal responsibility for the things that are absolutely theirs. Taking full responsibility is uncomfortable because we want to talk about our backstory. We want to explain our reasons. We want to focus on intentions. And that's all just going to come out like excuses and blame shifting which actually causes more damage. So instead of that, I encourage you, if you're going to work on taking full responsibility, to just really focus on being super direct and clear about what are the lines that you cross? What are the things that you did that you need to be responsible for? And those things do not have an expiration date. You just own those for the rest of your life. Even if you've corrected them and fixed them, you can still acknowledge them as part of your own story. There's great freedom in taking responsibility. It's powerful. So those are the four things, being patient, seeking help, increasing your distress tolerance, and taking full responsibility. The people that are doing good, solid recovery work, they are doing these things, among others. And I might talk about some down the road, but these are the ones I want to focus on for this episode. If you don't have these things in your own personal recovery, I encourage you to include them. 
find resources and helps. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. You can jump on Instagram. I was like instant media, social media, Instagram, or Facebook. Uh, You can find me on there. And I'd love to have you just comment and and drop a a direct message. Uh, Let us know what other things have been helpful in your personal recovery. Love to know what, what has made a difference in your own healing. And these are the things that I think have made a huge difference for the folks that I've worked with. And I'd love to see you include them in yours as well. Once again, thanks for joining me. Make sure to click on the link in the show notes so you can download the First Steps to Rebuilding Trust, the course, and you can access that right away and get started on your healing journey. Thanks for being with me. In the next episode, we are going to focus on four things that partners that have been betrayed can focus on to improve their recoveries.